This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Radio. Folks, before we get into this week's episode, which is going to be something a little different for you, uh, you lovely, you mm. lovely peoples, we are going to talk about, uh, we're going to read some comments regarding last week's movie, and that was, of course, Billy Elliot. Now, mm. we're not going to, you're, you're going to hear us introduce the show later. I've created a kind of conundrum for myself. Yeah. Well, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And we'll, we'll leave it at that, um, because you're going to hear the whole introduction later. This is kind of like a cold open. Oh. Um, and I... at the end, someone will fall, and someone will say live from New York, because I'm assuming it's been the same since season one. Chevy that... takes a fall. But every every step of that phrase is a lie. We're not live. We're not in New York, and it is not, not Saturday night at, at all. Well, that's too bad, uh, because Jason is going to be our Chevy Chase. He's going to fall down. He's going to be a dick to work with. And he's he's gonna make a, a pretty fun movie called Fletch. Oh, that means I have to have a cocaine habit too. Oh, this is gonna be expensive. Chevy Chase and drugs? Get out of here! That's the whole city of Maryland you're accusing. You know, people say a lot about Chevy Chase, but if there's one thing you can say about him is that he knows what's funny. Okay, we're reading comments of a Billy Elliot uh, from our listeners, Jason. So why don't you start off by reading us the first comment? Uh, our first comment, Brendan, uh, this week, up top, right out of the gate, we're talking We're talking about Sharon Horwath. Sharon writes... Sharon! Sharon. Sharon writes, I watched Billy Elliot for the first time a few years back, and I remember really enjoying it. Julie Walters is great, and the movie introduced us to Jamie Bell, who is a wonderful talent. I don't know him from anything else, but also he's much older, so I don't know. The musical that came out about a decade later also gave us great talents like Tom Holland and David Alvarez. So, hooray. I know Tom Holland is Mr. Spider, but I don't know about David Alvarez. I'm sorry, Mr. Spider? Mr. Spider, yeah. He's my favorite superhero. I, I've, you know, I've been a big fan since I was a kid. Mr. Spider and his uh, his enemy, uh, uh, Green Dude. I like when he fought Batman. That was, a, that was a good day. That was a real good day. Let me ask you, Jason. I, I, I want to... I want to figure this out. So you don't think you've seen Jamie Bell in anything else? I mean, I probably have, but I don't. Have you I mean, seen I'm... the Peter Jackson King Kong? Uh, yes, a long time ago. Uh, I, uh, you, I don't remember who he plays. Have you seen? Uh, <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen the Adventures of Tintin, the Steven Spielberg movie? Mm, oh no, I did well, see a trailer. Tintin. He's oh, Tintin. Well, that's something. He's in Nymphomaniac, which I'm sure you've watched many times. No, but I, I, I hear tell of it. Is that, is uh, that the one with Willem Dafoe? Yeah, I, I think he's in it. Um, he's No, you're thinking of Antichrist. Oh, okay. He's in uh, the best version of the Fantastic Four. Like the, the 2015 one? one. Oh, who did he play? 
Was he the, the Human the, Torch? The Thing. He was the Thing. Oh, he was the... Th- really? He was the Thing? Yeah. He's no Michael Chiklis. And he's also in... Uh, he was also in Rocket Man. Burning out his feet. Was he the Rocket Man? No, he wasn't Elton John. He was Bernie no. Topin. His, uh, <laughs> oh, his, yeah. well... I think I really Bernie was the Rocket Man in that relationship. I would I would say. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I don't have any idea. But uh, uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of Does Jason Know These Jamie Bell Movies? <laughs> Thanks for spawning that discussion, Sharon. That's all your fault. Well, I'm going to read this really long comment from Jacob Skinner. Superb movie, and Jamie has one of the great juvenile leads. I like it. It was straight to the point. And yeah, he's great in that movie, uh, that kid, uh, who then would grow up to be um, Ben Grimm. Grimm. The role he wants everyone to remember is that he played Ben Grimm in the great Fantastic Four movie that launched a franchise. Are the Fantastic Four movies proof that the Fantastic Four is boring, or is it that it's just never been put in quite the right hands? Well, we're going to find out, because apparently the MCU is going to do their version uh-huh. And if it's not good, I don't think anyone can make a good one. I think that's it. I think that's the end. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair. Um, our next comment, Brendan, comes from one Brendan Teenan who writes, hey, that's, Haven't, that's you. Uh, haven't seen it since it was in theaters, but I remember really loving it and being incredibly moved by the story. The subplot of the labor strike was a bit lost on me in the moment, but fortunately my dad provided some context afterwards. Good union dad right there. I think I'm overdue for revisiting this as I can only really speak to the vibes and emotions I felt. Uh, than I can the performances, direction, and dialogue, etc. Yeah, I, I, I love... A, it, it's always fascinating to think of those sorts of movies you haven't seen since you were a kid, but they, they do evoke something in you, and you're almost hesitant sometimes to go back and watch it because you don't want to change those feelings. It's like me and Masters of the Universe. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, yeah. it's so good. I don't want to go back and find out that it's a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fortunate when, like, the movie we're going to talk about a little bit later is one of those movies that, that is stuck with me and is still good after all these years. And thank goodness, because I adore that movie. Spoiler um, alert. Uh, Robert James Cole says, I saw it when it came out on video, another R-rated movie that my parents actually let me watch in spite of my young age. To be honest... I can't remember exactly why it has an R rating, aside from some homophobic slurs. I think they said fuck a few times. Uh, maybe the R rating stood for Robert Carlyle because he's in the movie. No, he's not. And every he's movie not. I've seen him in had an R rating. Robert no, I James didn't. Cole. I, I didn't. I didn't put this in there to embarrass Mr. Cole. No. I just uh, wanted to point out. No, he's not. And because I thought about it, I'm like, wait, is he? Because he could be. He's a great actor. He could blend into the movie. But I'm like, who would he have been? But no, I believe. I looked it up. I checked it. It's unfortunately not true. He would have brought a lot to this movie. Uh, I would say, Mr. Cole, I believe you're conflating maybe this with the full Monty. Yes, I would say that. I, no, I can see it why. it also has the minor. The it's also a musical, everything. although that's it, not a what, movie. It is not a musical. Full the Monty? full Monty is not a musical. Well, that's not a musical musical, but it's got a lot of music in it is what I'm saying. It's got a soundtrack. It's got music. It's mean. got dancing. Um, please don't mash these movies up. Dance. Oh, I guess it does, yeah. I wouldn't want to mash these movies up, though, because then you have a 12-year-old boy uh, stripping, uh, uh, I guess, to get his job back or something. So Jesus Christ. That's a bad, that's a bad movie. Co-sponsored by Nambla. Yeah. Um, anyway, Robert James Cole continues, not to say your name uh, shortly after I mentioned the word Nambla. Also, you said it like he's a serial killer. Don't say it like that. Anyway, he continues and says, that said, I remember enjoying it. I think the reason my parents let me watch it, though was because I had the preconceived notion that it was a girly movie made for girls. It was about ballet, after all. 
I think this is the first movie that made me realize that subject matter alone doesn't determine the demographic. It opened my eyes to worlds of films I had never before considered. Yes, and I, I love those sorts of movies. I wish I could pluck one from my mind, but the... Uh... But yeah, those, those movies that you never would never would consider at a certain point in your life. Like I never would have watched Billy Elliot probably when it came out, like ninety nine, two thousand. Like I was in high school, I was like seventeen years old. I wasn't watching a movie about a boy dancing. I, I was too manly for that. And now yeah. I've watched it. And it's like, oh no, that's actually a pretty darn good movie, isn't it? You were you were too busy watching like all those uh, all those um, full moon productions. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> No, I was wa- actually. I'll tell you, really, realistically, at that time, what I was watching was whatever was in the theater new that week. <laughs> right. Collateral damage. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Treasure Planet or whatever that was called. I wish I'd have seen Treasure Planet in the theater. Fuck. I saw it. I saw it in bits and pieces on screens at Walmart when I worked there. Oh. Yeah. Not on a big screen like I should have. Are you plug? Are you plugging uh, Walmart? People should work at Walmart. Mm, let me think. No, <laughs> if you can avoid it. I mean, no, no, no judging. I've done it. You got to do what you got to do. But if you can avoid it, there's other options. Not a recommendation. No. Okay. Uh, our final comment, Brendan, is succinct to the point, and you'll see why. Mark Harrison writes. I mean, I'm Northern, so yes, I do remember it. Now, if I was to try to interpret that, I would say, I mean. I'm northern, so yes, I do remember it. And he's probably banging his head against his keyboard right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mark. Or he's like, who just joined the uh, <laughs> the podcast with that perfect northern that accent? That must be my fucking cousin. <laughs> Is that me cousin? <laughs> Jerry? Uh, Brendan, in post, please insert a clip uh, from Kess where Jason is about to do his accent in order to make him sound better. <laughs> Don't worry about that. That'll be all cleaned up and posted. You'll take care of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, well, there you go. Those are all the comments. We're going to move on. We're going to start this week's episode officially, um, and we're talking about a movie. You'll find out what what it's all about. So here we go. You're going to hear another intro in three, two, one. Are we going to watch the Star Wars Holiday Special? Jason, um, well, I mean, I watched uh, Star Wars 6. I got to say, just as good as I remember it. Return of the Jedi? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all right. It's a fine movie. Yeah. No, I mean, Jason, I'm glad you got me to watch uh, Star Wars 6, although I'm I'm a little surprised that you thought I hadn't seen this movie. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen it many times, but that's cool. You want my first impressions? Um, well, first impressions, uh, I've seen it a lot, so this wasn't my first time. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Uh, what, what's that? What's up? You're you're doing you're doing you're doing that fun bit. What bit? That all the people that aren't nerds love to do, mm-hmm. which is to pretend you don't understand the movie you just watched, and you're confusing this movie with a different movie. And I recognize that. I understand, and I'm laughing inside, Brandon. I'm laughing very deep inside. But you're better than this, Brandon. You're better than this dumb bit. So why don't we just? Put aside the bullshit, okay, and focus on the seriousness of what lies in front of us, okay? How many Ewoks were in this movie? Oh, Brendan! I, I, I don't know what podcast this is. I expect that was when the music would kick in, but that would be your other podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're just having we're just having fun. 
We're just having fun. Well, you know what I should say right off the bat to you, to you, Brendan, is Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We are, well, soon. Happy holidays, at least. That's right. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, uh, et cetera. All the other religions. We are in the- Shout out. <laughs> shout out to Kwanzaa. Shout out to uh, Festivus. Shout out Festivus. to whatever uh, the satanic ritual is this time of year. Uh, the uh, bl- black mass, maybe I don't uh, know. Is that a weekly thing? I'm not sure. Shout out to yeah, that's when they just watched that uh, Johnny Depp movie over and over again. Of course, of course, uh, from hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I was just having a bit of fun. This is a one a special little episode that we uh, we're doing since since uh, you know we're in December, we're coming up on Christmas and. Uh, Giving each other some uh, some presents, as it were. Yeah. AKA Jason this week uh, got me to watch something that he had seen many times that I have oh. not seen a single time and knew nope. absolutely nothing about. Exactly. And the same and thing. That's part of the, and that's kind of part of the fun is to see how you deal with that. Right. And then the same thing is is going to happen next week. Although I would argue that Jason knows a little bit more about next week's movie than I do about this week's movie. As much as I love this week's movie, it does not have quite the same cultural catch it as next week's movie. But still very well known. Yes. So, Jason, first of all, you're Jason. And you're Brendan. And this is a podcast called For Screen. And Gundre. And we already described what we were doing this week, but normally we talk about British films, but that's not what we're doing. That's not no. what we're doing this week. And... Won't be doing again. Spoiler alert until next year. Sorry, guys. We're going to have Sorry. some fun to close out the year. That's right. We normally talk about British films, but this is wide open, Brendan. This is this is Christmas presents. This is you giving me a movie to watch that I haven't seen and me giving you a movie to watch that you haven't seen in the hopes that we both will enjoy them and have a merry old time while shoving our fruitcakes in our faces. And we do mean the food. We are not anti-LGBTQ. But we are pro fruitcakes. We, well, I don't know if I am. <laughs> uh, I, well, I'm I'm not against their existence. I think they should exist. I mean, sure, people want to eat them. Sure, that's right. Absolutely, it should be your choice. Yeah, I mean, I I don't even know if I would like. It. I don't even know if I've had fruitcake. Probably be, not. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know. But Jason, uh, you've given the movie this week, so yes. why don't you tell everyone what movie that is uh, if they are not able to read the title of this episode? And sure. then, uh, and then maybe um, you know why, and then kind of maybe your history with it. I chose for this week's film as a Christmas present to Brendan because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I chose Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. Now, to the Star Trek fan listening, you might say, Jason, you're going to show Brendan a Star Trek movie. <laughs> well, what what are you doing? Why didn't you choose Wrath of Khan? Ricardo Montalban, William Shatner. What, I mean, it's 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 an amazing tale, and I would say, sure, it is. It is an amazing movie, and I I thought so hard, but ultimately, I've gone with Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country instead, because uh, for reasons it'll become apparent. So uh, that was the movie that I chose. Brendan watched it, having no real context for Star Trek beyond the little that I've told him and forced him to listen to while I was drunk. Um, Twice. Yeah, and so it's an interesting choice, I think, on my part to choose the final adventure of the original crew, but I, that's how much I like this movie, and I think it is uh, worthy of Brendan's attention. All right. I did not watch it. I'm just <laughs> 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 um, Yeah, and, and I was also a little like, oh, oh God, oh, no, he's getting me to watch 
the sixth one? Like, do I need some context? Do I need some, some, uh, my first question, this was my first question going in. Am I going to be completely lost? Is there going to be stuff that I don't understand? Is there going to be, is there going to be, uh, theories and, and, and character details that I'm just going to be perplexed by? And I will start off by saying no. Yeah. Because Nicholas Meyer, who directed this movie, is a very competent filmmaker. And the nice thing about the Star Trek movies is that you generally, even if you're not familiar with them directly, it's pretty clear. It's usually set up pretty well who these people are and why they're doing what they're doing. Well, there was enough. What One thing I was really surprised by, just overall, to start this off, is there was enough context clues mm. that I didn't really have any problem following it to begin with like no no problem at all following and i'm just looking at nicholas meyer right now yeah it looks like it looks like pretty much all he's done is star trek movies there's a few others but not nothing nothing huge uh, those are probably what he's most known for his his first big movie was uh time after time with uh, david warner and uh uh, malcolm mcdowell it's like a time travel hg wells jack the ripper kind of thing well and of course he wrote uh the um box office uh boffo blockbuster the human stain of course. Everybody knows that movie. The Nicole Kidman, Anthony Hopkins, checks notes, romance drama? <laughs> oh, no. In 2003? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Uh, some prime Hopkins. Yeah, and very young Nicole. Um, so, so yeah, uh, yeah, that's the first thing is that it kind of started, and I was, like, a little nervous about uh, – because I'll tell you this, Jason. I want to get this out, the, out, of the, sure. out of the way right off the bat. I've watched – Bits and pieces of the shows. I don't know which specific ones. I know I've seen The Next Generation because I know I've seen Patrick Stewart on it. Yes. I'm pretty sure I've seen some of Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. I definitely saw whatever one it was that The Rock wrestled in. Uh, I think that was an episode of Voyager. Okay. So I think I've seen bits <laughs> of like all three of the like most popular yeah. newer versions of the show. Uh, that uh, those that yes, the the TNG era of shows are by far I would say the most popular era of Star Trek. And presently. I will and I will say that um, as a kid watching SmackDown knowing that the Rock was going to be on Star Trek right after, I was very impatiently waiting for a scene which came about 52 minutes into the 60 minute yeah, episode and was about 60 seconds. <laughs> I was very upset. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that fueled my rage. I don't know. I don't remember whether that episode of Voyager was good or not, but I have a feeling it wasn't. I well, I don't. I looked back on that scene later, and that scene yeah. wasn't good. So no. if that's a, if that's a, <laughs> if that's a harbinger for the rest of the episode, probably not. <laughs> but yeah, I was. I don't know. I just had a hard time, like just tuning in. I mean, maybe I maybe I should have watched in the beginning. I don't know. But like, I, I had a hard time tuning into the to this show because. There was always so much like there was like this terminology. There was a gabagoo, and I was the just like techno babble. We te- call it yeah, the techno babble. You know, word salad, and I just had a hard time with it, and it kind of it kind of just made me zone out. So again, yeah. why would I want to watch the movies of a show I didn't particularly enjoy that I saw snippets of, expecting again more techno babble and stuff? But that's the second point I'm going to make. Yeah, not a lot of that. Yeah, not a lot of that. No, they they keep it to a minimum in this one. This uh, it's pretty pretty straightforward, I would say, as far as uh, that goes. We don't have any reversing of tachyon polarities or anything like that. And I have enough uh, pop culture awareness to know, yeah. like, oh, that's Spock, that's yeah. Doctor McCoy, that's mm-hmm. Captain Kirk, that's yeah. blah 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 blah. So much so, Jason, you might be proud of me here, okay? Yeah. Um, 
think I picked up on a little uh, crossover here because Who I believe a Worf makes an appearance, and I believe he at does. the time the Next Generation was on, and he is from yes. that show. Yes, he uh, he plays his own grandpa, Colonel Worf. Oh, so he's not him. No, he's not. He's not Worf from TNG, but he is Worf's grandfather. I gotcha. But same actor. That yes, same actor. Okay. That's a, that's a tradition in Star Trek. Uh, certain actors playing the relatives of their other characters. <laughs> so what you're saying is Captain Kirk is Jean-Luc Picard's uh, grandfather. Uh, he he probably could. He could. I'm sure. I'm and, sure he'd do it if they asked. And Generations is your favorite Star Trek movie. Mm. Oh, I think I'm bleeding. <laughs> so that's the second thing. Da 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 da. Um, plot. Yes. Pretty straightforward. Um, so, honestly, in, in, it's 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 a it's you know what I got from it is you have um, the Klingons again. I know who the Klingons are. Yes. I, for the perennial, most part, perennial villain to the Federation through the original series. I feel like the Klingons are like this like reoccurring villain. It's like it's like the oh. it's like. How do I? I don't know how to make a comparison here. It's like the guy in Indiana Jones that takes the arc from him and keeps bugging him throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a character in Indiana Jones that's like a villain, but he just kind of sporadically pops up yeah. as, a, as a villain. It's like that, right? Where they're not always just, the main focus. But no, sometimes uh, th- there's probably three, three or four episodes of TOS that specifically involve the Klingons, but they're often mentioned and. They they do spend a period as antagonists throughout the various shows, but like by the time of the next generation, uh, the Klingon Empire and the Federation have been pretty much at peace for a while. They don't, you know, they're not they're not buddy buddy necessarily, but they do have cultural exchanges and everything. But things pick up in the course of TNG and DS9, and things get a bit hot. But yes, the Klingons are absolutely the most well developed of any Star Trek. Uh, alien race, I would say, simply because Worf is a major character in TNG, and a lot of the Klingon culture is explored through him. Well, and I would say it's a, it's a hashtag not all Klingon situation, yes. right? And and so when TNG starts, we know that the the Klingons and the Federation are kind of on better terms, but we don't know how that happened. And this movie is essentially laying that out oh. the, the beginning of that process of this detente between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. And, I mean, folks, this is just straight Cold War metaphor at this point. Star Trek is many things, uh, melodrama, morality plays, but so often it is a mirror of world events and current events. And in this case, this was around the time the Soviet Union was falling, shortly after uh, the Chernobyl power plant had, yeah. had its meltdown 91. and caused a lot of trouble. This movie is, it starts very similarly, where the Klingon Moon of Praxis, which is their primary energy production facility, explodes and uh, dumps a bunch of material into the Klingon's atmosphere, and they've basically given a, a 50 years before their ecosphere collapses. So yeah. they are in need of aid, and they are not a people who like to ask for help. No, so and so it's one of the... Okay, so I get that the, the movie is basically like there's this peace agreement that they're going to enter yeah. into. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, everybody is kind of on edge, because I, I get the sense... Now I know that Kirk has dealt with some some nasty people, as your favorite president would say. Yes. Um, uh, some some Klingons that were not so great, but I feel like he comes on strong oh, <laughs> in his opinion of, of Klingons. In this movie, and and this is a theme of this movie is the you know because Nicholas Meyer was not as idealistic about Star Trek as Gene Roddenberry was. Mm-hmm. I don't think Gene ever would have done this sort of plot, but. 
But the crew of the Enterprise, especially our heroes, the bridge crew, are pretty fucking racist to Klingons throughout the course of this movie. Uh, we have a line where um, after they leave, so they come to dinner and, you know, they have that whole amazing scene. And afterwards, you know, like Chekhov and your her are like, uh, it's like, did you see how they were eating? Oh, I almost got sick. And they're, they're just, it's... The, even Chekhov at one point when he learns the Klingons are coming over for a diplomatic dinner says guess who's coming to dinner oh yeah a that's direct a direct reference a very conscious reference <laughs> a to... very conscious reference but, exactly. it, but, but at the same time it's like yes the, and I don't know a lot about the characters obviously because I haven't seen yeah. any of the other movies I haven't really watched a lot of the TV shows but no. but I will say that to make them more intolerant and everything is it makes the story stronger because it does you you have they have more of a of a swing around at yeah. the end you know they they but, when when you when you find out yes this is not a this is not a klingon plot this is a plot by uh one particular klingon this is a plot by extremists is what this is we 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 over the course of this movie we learned that there are extremist elements in both the federation and the klingon empire that believe it's in their interest to maintain the kind of hostile position that these people have had toward each other for, by this point, well over 100 years. Which, thankfully, um, that age is like cheese because there's no more issues like that in the no, world. No, no, no. This movie's very out of touch. Yeah. Uh, but, so, over I the should, course I of should the say movie, that cheese ages pretty well. So, yeah, well, it does. It's very good. Um, but, yeah, the thing is, like, Kirk is a symbol to the Klingons, right? He is a representative of kind of all the shit that Starfleet has done to them over the years. Now, we like to think that we're the good guys and that the Klingons have been the aggressors, and often that is the case, but, like, the Klingons have gotten into it many times with the Federation, and a lot of times James Kirk has been involved in that. So for them to, so you know, when he said, Spock early on says, you know, to Jim, who's like, well, why are you sending me? He says, oh, there's an old Vulcan proverb, only Nixon could go to China. And Kirk is like Nixon. He's, he's a staunch anti-communist. This staunch anti-communist is the only guy that could legitimately open dialogue up with a communist government without being accused of being a communist himself. That's essentially what Kirk's position is here. We're sending our the guy they hate the most to offer the olive branch. Okay, well, thank you for explaining why he used that quote, because I was confused. Yeah, I know, and it, 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 that in itself is kind of a joke, too, that the idea that that's an old Vulcan proverb. Sp Spock later on also says, uh, an ancestor of mine once said, you know, once you eliminate the improv or the impossible, whatever's left, however improbable is the truth. <laughs> He's saying Sherlock Holmes is his ancestor, and that's kind of true. Like, literary-wise, Holmes is an ancestor to Spock. What? Like, 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 in the sense that Spock is a very logical, methodical oh. character in the same way that Sherlock Holmes uh. is, and he approaches things, like, with deductive reasoning. And I'm sorry, I thought you meant it was canon that they were actually relatives. No. <laughs> Yeah, no. Sherlock Holmes is a real person in Star Trek. No, I was like, actually, uh, I I have totally missed out on that part of Star Trek pop culture. Now, while Sherlock Holmes is not a real person, a hologram of Professor Moriarty in the Next Generation achieves sentience uh, and actually is going to show up in the new season of Picard. So uh, that that happened. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we so got this this Cold War plot, and you know, Kirk is Kirk is this symbol. The Chancellor ends up getting assassinated. By the way, David Warner is so great in this movie. Everybody's great in this movie. Christopher Plummer is General Chang. Uh, all of our old friends, man. Okay, okay, just a second, though. <laughs> I know you told me a lot. I, I think we, t I think we s talked about this off-air. I don't know if it was yeah. on the episode. Okay. But when I saw Christopher Plummer as General Chang, I, I winced a little bit, and you said, mm. oh, no, no, it's okay. He's just a Klingon. Yeah. I gotta say, even after having watched this, though, it, it's they're kind of pushing into it a little bit. 
You think you well? To be fair, the the, fair. the, the, the mustache thing, the, yeah. the 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 okay the makeup. It's it's close. I understand that, but let's 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 roll back the clock a bit. So, <laughs> in the original Star Trek, Klingons were basically evil Chinamen. In the sense that they they had like kind of the Fu Manchu mustaches, they had kind of uh, 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 ethnic looking skin and dark hair. That was kind of what they were going for, unfortunately. So when uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture rolled around, they did a redesign to actually make them look like aliens. And so we got the classic Klingon forehead, right? The big high forehead. We got the big long hair, um, the teeth and everything. Like they, they changed that design to be less specifically racist. Now, in this movie... Uh, Christopher Plummer, when he was asked to do it and he saw the makeup that the Klingons normally wear, he's like, I don't really want to wear that. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame him. You know, he's, he's probably in his 60s by then. He's like, I don't want to spend 90 hours in a, in a, in a chair. So what they did is they moderated his makeup. So they, they just kind of gave him a ball cap so he didn't have to wear the long hair. They reduced the size of his uh, ridges so that they weren't less prominent, right? Um, and Klingons are kind of dark anyways. So I don't think it was an intentional uh, uh, aping of an Asian stereotype, but it was sort of a holdover from the original version of the Klingons in the original series. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, essentially, <laughs> but I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, it just it was it felt close to me. At least he didn't do an accent. He just did his Christopher Plummer. You know, I mean, yeah. I so wanted to meet you, Captain. I, I will to warrior. <laughs> so, I mean, essentially. The peace talk. The chancellor gets assassinated. We don't know what's going on. It seems like the Federation, the Starfleet, has seemingly sh- uh, fired on the on their Kle- on the Klingon ship and, and and assassinated the chancellor. But surely that's not the case. Yeah. And then eventually we find out that oh, big big shocker! This was a twist for me, Jason. Is that General yeah. Chang is the villain, Christopher Plummer? <laughs> what? Well, the, the the bigger twist is that Admiral Cartwright and uh, and uh, Colonel West were were villains in this situation. Who the hell now, is that? That's uh, Brock Peters' character, the, the, the Admiral of Color, and uh, uh, Colonel West, who is the, the mustachioed René Aubergenois, who uh, is at the end of the... F- uh, so, uh, do you remember the scene in the pre- with Kurtwood Smith the, as the president? Kurtwood Smith with the greatest look yes. of all time. He looks, he looks amazing in this movie. So he's having a chat with Sarek, who's the Vulcan ambassador, Spock's father, and the Romulan ambassador and the Klingon ambassador, and then the Klingon ambassador leaves, and two Starfleet officers come in. The guy with the mustache is Colonel West, and he's the guy proposing Operation Retrieve. At the end of the film, when the assassination attempt takes place, they it's a Klingon, Scotty shoots him, and when they get down, they tear his mask off, and it's West. Oh, see, when I saw the two... Because uh, the, 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 the two guys are not as important as the one that's behind it, because when I saw the two guys get shot... Or the oh, two those, guys, that's the Bur- two guys Burke that... and Sam now on the ship. Yeah, those are two different guys. Oh, well, what are you talking about, then? I'm talking about, okay, so at the very end of the movie, do you remember at the very end when they beam down to the conference and everything, there's a Klingon who's Oh, there's like the an window. assassin. Yeah, 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 okay. They knock him out. When they when he hits the ground, they take his mask off. It's Colonel West. Oh, see. And see, the guy and, in and there scene. you go. There's a, there's a difference is that I watch that and feel nothing. <laughs> well, it's not a question of feeling. It's just it's a, if you notice the mustache and the guy, you should put it together at that point. Maybe you didn't. I uh, didn't catch on to that who it was. I just oh, it's a random yeah. guy they hired. But yeah, well, well, I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Maybe did you see the version without the Operation Retrieve scene? Because the the theatrical cut does not have that little bit with Rene Aubergenois as uh, Colonel West for some reason. So at the end of the movie, it makes no sense that this random guy is an assassin. None of that sounds familiar. <laughs> Weird. Weird. But but ultimately, you know, and I know this is not her name, but ultimately, it's General Chang and Lady Spock that's uh, behind uh, Valeris, everything. Yes. 
Well, Lady she's Spock. she's a pawn in the scheme. It, it's it's a it's a collaborative scheme between General Chang and the the reactionary elements in the Klingon military, as well as Admiral Cartwright and the similar in Starfleet, the guys that all want to keep the neutral zone up because they want to keep the fleet being built and the, the, for whatever reason they want to keep them in a state of war. Which I it, so anyway they they end up being behind it, and then yeah. you know they save the day, blah blah blah. Um, I didn't know that that was Kim Cattrall for the entire yes. movie. And then when That's I found good. it, I was like, wow, what what more d- uh, disparate movies could we watch with Kim Cattrall in it? We've watched Star Trek VI and Porky's as our two movies that we've yeah. covered starring with Kim, Kim Cattrall. Cattrall. I, I like her in this movie. She Her role was originally, I think, supposed to bring back the character of Savick, who was in Star Trek II and Three. But I think they decided they didn't want to take a character who was quite beloved, like Savick was, and then turn her into a traitor. So they came up with the character of Valeris. So she's a brand new role. character. She's a brand new character, yeah. I, she's, I, she's a protege of Spock's. I was also watching this and I was saying, if this came out in the last, like, I don't know, five years, I'm sure the reaction would be like, oh, a female Spock. Like, can't we just, <laughs> can't they just get their own characters? There's plenty of there's plenty of Lady Vulcans. No, but you know that would be the reaction. People are stupid. She's great though. I love her her readings online. She does such great Vulcan line readings. I love the when she's talking about the the Dutch with their shoes Oven. called Subo that they threw into the machines. Hence sabotage. <laughs> God, it's great. You say sabotage, I say sabotage. Sabotage. Um yeah, so uh, I I mean maybe Jason I mean, we kind of got the idea of the plot. Uh, maybe I'll just go through some of my observations while I watch this. Please. Just for, for your absolute delight. Okay. Um, because this is, I, I'm like a babe in the woods. Absolutely. Please uh, help me. Um, uh, Gene Roddenberry, right up front, uh, tributing him. So he must have recently passed. He died about, I think, two or three months after they wrapped on this. And he did get to see a, a, like a rough cut of the film before he passed. Biggest shock? Mm-hmm. Full credits up front, no Star Trek theme. I was flabbergasted. Instead, you got Cliff Eidelman's wonderful, I think that's his name, Cliff Eidelman, his wonderful soundtrack of the builds and builds and builds, and then there's that crescendo, and then Praxis fucking explodes, and we had that huge shock wave. I mean, so it's, a cool. g- it's a cool song, but not what I expected. Yeah. It, um, it, it's a much they, more, it has a much grimmer kind of tone to it than your average Star Trek. Uh, they, they do, I believe, play the Star Trek theme at the end. Yes. Um, okay. Big question here. Okay. Um, the reoccurring joke that I've always known, again, through pop culture, through Family Guy, whatever, is that, uh, you know, if there's a red shirt, they die. There's mm-hmm. a red shirt on the mission. There's like, you know, Spock, McCoy, uh, uh, help me out here, Scotty and yeah. Gary. And it's yeah. like, you know, Gary dies. They were all wearing red shirts. I yes. was confused. Uh, so the the red shirt thing is specifically a I reference to a massacre, Jason. I know. I under, yeah, no, for sure. I get it. I get it. But no, the red shirt thing is specifically a reference to the original series where engineering and security officers wore uh, uh, red as their divisional color. Now, for reasons that I, I think have to do with Patrick Stewart looking better in red, when TNG happened, they switched the division colors uh, between command and uh, security and engineering. So the command was now red. It's a whole thing, Brendan. But okay. yes, and the, but so red, red shirt, the, that, that term holds on, but it's not accurate anymore in the uniform culture. And this is in a period where uh, the folks are wearing what we call the monster maroon uniform, which is very militaristic looking and is a Nicholas Meyer uh, creation. And it's my favorite uniform of any Star Trek uniform. You know a lot about Star Trek. 
it a, l- a little bit. Anyway. Shut up. <laughs> Jason, My a, a huge question I have here coming Please. up right now. Get ready for okay. it. I'm re- oh, fuck. I'm ready, buddy. Okay. So let me just kind of set the, set the tone. I know that there has been some back and forth and some negative vibes and a very complicated relationship between William Shatner and George Takei. George Takei, mm-hmm. whatever you want, however you want to say it. Yeah. Um, ha- having known a little bit of that going into this movie and seeing uh-huh. that Sulu, a.k.a. Yes. George Takei, is commanding his own ship uh-huh. and has no actual scenes on screen with William Shatner, mm-hmm. I have to ask you, number one, is that because they hated each other at this time too much to work together? Uh-huh. And number two... What set up this storyline where he has his own ship? Because I thought okay. he was like his his map dude. While while I see logically where you're coming from, and I agree that that certainly is a possibility. As far as I know, that was not the case. What, why Sulu is in command of his own ship is it goes back to Star Trek Two. There was a scene cut in Star Trek Two where Sulu and Kirk are heading to the Enterprise early in the movie, and Sulu mentions that he's getting promoted to the c- captain of the Excelsior. Um, and that, I guess, was something that George Takei had been pushing forward for Sulu to kind of get his own, like, ship in the show, uh, maybe in hopes of a spinoff of himself, which has also been talked about for a long time, uh, although I, I think that's far past happening now. Um, but, yeah, so th- there was a plan for Sulu to take command of the Excelsior. And actually, it was funny because the Excelsior shows up in Star Trek Three in a certain uh, regard, but it's not till Star Trek Six that we finally see Sulu in command of his own ship because he's still on the Enterprise in Star Trek V. So as far as you know, this is not uh, solely so. due to the fact that they did not like each other. I, I would not be surprised, though, if George was very happy to do those shots on his own without having to actually interact with Shatner. Well, now, in the <laughs> one that Shatner directs, is yes. su- is George Takei in a lot yes. of that movie? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's uh, okay. he's there. It's it's a Yes, he's there. He's there okay. for sure. He, okay. Okay. Um, Okay, uh, they they touch on uh, Kirk's son a little bit. Yes, he he talks okay. about how his son was uh, was killed by uh, I almost said Vulcans, <laughs> killed by Klingons. I believe. Um, the do line we ever is, see that? I believe the line is, "I've never trusted Klingons, and I never will. I've never been able to forgive them for the death of my boy." So, right, uh, David. Okay, that's what I said. So David Marcus, who is uh, 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 Kirk's biological son, he shows up in Star Trek Two with his mom Carol, who is an old flame of Kirk's. Uh, through the course of that movie, they kind of, you know, they kind of have that whole arc of like, you know, like, oh, you're my dad. I don't like you. And then they kind of bond a little bit and then they're kind of OK with each other. And in Star Trek three, David is murdered by Commander Krug, played by the great Christopher Lloyd in a pre Back to the Future role. Great Scott. Oh, he's great. I love him as Krug. He's fucking he's pretty he's pretty evil. <laughs> so you do see the murder happen. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you see it. You see it for sure. OK, cool. Um, I mean, you already talked about the Guess Who's Coming to Dinner thing. I actually wrote down, imagine they remade Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but with, like, humans and Klingons. I think that would be fantastic. Bring Sidney Poitier back from the dead, have him play a Klingon. Oh, put him in Klingon makeup? Oh, he'd look so good. With, like, I don't know, fucking uh, Diane Lane. <laughs> but should uh, but uh, on the other hand, should we take a, a really important movie about race relations and change the the uh, uh, put upon race into just straight aliens what does yeah. that say what kind of message is that yeah probably not great but you know what I just <laughs> I thought about it <laughs> you did you did um at one point the Klingons straight up call them racist yeah which is well it's when they're having that discussion at dinner and uh, 
Chekhov says something along the lines of, we believe in, uh, uh, what, what did he say, uh, inalienable human rights. And, she, and as at Burr, who is the chancellor's daughter, goes, uh, inalienable human rights. Why, the very name itself is racist. Was Nicolas Cage playing that role, Jason? <laughs> yes, that was Nicolas Cage in an early role as as at Burr. Um, <laughs> but no, they're making the point that, that even their terminology, like the idea of inalienable human rights. My people are well, good they're, people! They're, they're like, oh, well, everybody's human. And, and Kirk even says that later in the movie. He's like, well, everybody's human. And Spock's like, I find that racist or, or offensive or something he does say he no he straight up says racist racist i find because i racist. i noted that i was like wow they're not uh, they're not being subtle anymore um okay uh there's a big action scene where uh, of course where the chancellor is murdered and you see all these other klingons murdered and they're in zero g or whatever yeah and that those those, those blood spurts that they just yeah. kind of float in the air like bubbles i'm watching this and i'm like man this feels like i'm watching like no offense to 1991, but it feels like I'm watching a shitty 3D movie from, like, 2003. <laughs> well, you have to understand, that blood was, like, early CG. So yeah. that's why it looks the way it does. And also, fun fact, I don't think to this point, and in many cases thereafter, Klingons, the color of Klingons' blood was never established to be purple until this movie. And then they never, they, like, a lot of times you'll see Klingons and they'll have red blood. So it was literally established in this movie for the plot device of them being able to realize the difference between Klingon blood and human blood. Okay. okay. This is not Klingon blood because it's, you know, red blood or whatever. Um, I, I wrote down at this point of the movie, while General Chang is behind it all, no question in my mind. I mean, I mean yes, clearly. Uh, Kurtwood Smith's luxurious white hair and mustache should have been his look in RoboCop. For sure. Fun fact, too, that scene in the president's uh, office is that set is actually the 10 forward set from Star Trek The Next Generation, which is the bar that they all hang out in. It's just been redressed and the background changed from stars to a, uh, a view of Paris. Jason, I'm just a little bit disappointed because I thought you were going to say, fun fact, it is the same character as Robocop. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's Clarence Boddicker. He didn't die. He went through time and, and got some uh, uh, plastic surgery to look like an alien, which is a thing you can do because it happens multiple times in Star Trek. Wonderful. Jason, there was a bit of courtroom drama that found its mm. way to my heart. Uh, not yes. enough of it because I like a good courtroom drama. Oh, for sure. Uh I, <laughs> one thing that really made me laugh is at one point, Scotty, who I love, by the way, that he has the most ridiculous accent of the entire it's, ship. Like he It's a bad out. Scottish accent, for sure. Oh, yeah, because I was going to say, he's not Scottish. No, no, <laughs> Jimmy Doohan's Canadian. Don't worry that, about that. The actor is not doing Wait, don't worry <laughs> about that. What do you think? I said, I don't was, worry about it. He's Canadian. Did you think I was worried? I did, yes, absolutely. You were afraid he was going to end up being like South American or something. <laughs> But yeah, it is a it is a cartoon uh, Scottish accent. But I love that he says at one point um, because they said like, you know, they're arguing about what could have fired on the ship, and they said, yeah. well, what if it's it, it could be something with a cloaking device underneath us? So let's tell Starfleet, and he's like, that, they'll think that's ridiculous. And I'm yeah. like, really, in this universe, an yes. invisible ship is just a ridiculous no. notion. Well, okay, so the context here that you don't have, and you don't necessarily need. Uh, the context you, you don't have here is that in in, the, in this world, uh, so you can cloak a ship with something called a cloaking device. It renders the ship invisible to the viewer. But cloaking devices, conventional wisdom goes, draw so much power that you are not able to raise your shields or use your weapons while you are cloaked. It is just too much of a power drain to, to make it happen. So the So in this movie, they make that work somehow. They're able to fire torpedoes while cloaked. 
So that's why it's a big deal to Scotty because in his mind, that's like he's, they're like violating the laws of physics. It's not possible. It draws too much power. It can't happen. No, Jason. I've seen one Star Trek movie, and you've seen all of it. I think I am right. <laughs> but yeah, oh, Scotty. Scotty has some good lines in this movie too. I love when he um, uh, when Azad Burr uh, or he's talking about Azad Burr after the fact is that Klingon bitch. She didn't even shed a tear. And then Spock has to be like, uh, Mr. Scott, Klingons do not have tear ducts. Well, he's very logical. Although at one point he does say that you should also have faith over logic, and I was like, "That's not the Spock I know." Well, that's that's part. So uh, again, the context you're missing here is that uh, over the course of the first, well, of, of the movies two, three, and four, Spock died, was uh, resurrected, and then had to relearn everything. So he's been through a very, <laughs> a very difficult process uh, through his life, and has kind of come to some new thoughts over time. I his do... character has had an arc. I do know that he died because I know the big thing in Wrath of Khan is that he dies. So I was actually a little shocked to see him in this one because I thought he had, uh, I thought he was Dunzo after the second. Oh, he one. he was he was uh, re- revived by the Genesis Planet in Star Trek Three. I, I wonder if he changed his mind if he wanted to leave the franchise and they had to write in him coming back somehow. I think that was part of it. Um, I, uh, I I I think it also okay. So I think a big part of it was that Leonard Nimoy wanted to direct. And after Star Trek Two, they they I, I think he want he really wanted to direct Star Trek Three, and then they may have been like, "So you're gonna be back as Spock, right?" And I guess he must have made the calculation that, "Yeah, I will do that if it means I can direct." And he directed three and four, and four is like the most popular of the, all the original Star Trek movies. It is the most well known and made the most money, I think, uh, by inflation. Not two. Not two, no, because four is the one where they go back in time to save the whales. So it, it's a much more kind of broad comedy, like fish out of water stuff of these people being in 1986 and trying to deal with that uh, with that existence. Two is the one that gets referenced as the quote unquote best one, though. Yes, yes, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. That's the one that people point to. But I'm saying broadly, like to you the, can't to call the them that large, anymore, Jason. <laughs> to the public at large, like it made 120 million dollars in 1986, yeah. and that's a lot of money. Um, Jason, uh, I don't know if you caught this, and if you didn't, I will take this victory lap. All right. Um, did you catch the Bridge on the River Kwai reference? Which one? God damn it. I'm talking about the, so they, when they put Kirk, because, okay, spoiler alert, <laughs> for this movie that was released in 1991, yeah. um, they, they make it look like Kirk was the one who ordered the assassination on the Chancellor. Yes. And he ends up going to the prison uh, planet of Rula Pente. Rula Pente. And on this planet, there is a moment where the guy in charge. Asteroid. It's an okay. asteroid. Whatever. <laughs> this is why I don't watch this shit. Nerd. Um, there's a guy, there's a guy in charge who makes this announcement. It basically says like, you know, you'll notice there are no guard towers. There are no barricades no because we, towers. we know you can't escape. So there's no point. And that just reminded me there's an exact moment where they say that in Bridge. That's true. Clark. Yeah. It, it, right. You're, you're right. When the Colonel gets up there and he makes a similar speech about, you know, the, the being in the jungle and there's no, you know, there's no fences or towers. Did I get the you? There. Yeah. You, you, you got, you beat me. You beat me. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. And also, by the way, props to the great uh, W. Morgan Shepard, who plays that Klingon uh, jailer, and uh, the line at the end of it where he goes, Work well, and you will be treated well. Work badly, and you will die. (laughs) Boom. Um, What was the other reference that you thought? 
No, I just I, I just wanted to sound smart. No, oh. that that is absolutely yeah. I don't know why that never occurred to me, but yes, absolutely, that is totally Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah, I thought I thought it, I yeah, it was, sounded like uh, just rang some bells. Um, mm-hmm. Jason, uh, David Bowie's wife, not at the time, but mm. soon after this, David Bowie's wife's in this movie. Uh, Iman. Iman. Yes. And, and, and to which I ask, did William Shatner make out with every uh, black lady on Star Trek? I Well, uh, I was watching an episode the other day called The Mark of Gideon, and there was like a hot young blonde on there, and of course he had to make out with her too. And it's like, I must have been in his contract at some point. Mm-hmm. But if you hear his girdle start to go, you got to run away, girl, or he'll die. Was it Uhura that he kissed? Yes, uh, in the famous uh, first interracial kiss scene. Well, yes, that was Uhura. Argue that's that's an arguable point because that's an arguable one. point. And actually, the take they use, he isn't physically kissing her, but it looks like he's kissing her. And he, th- this, I love the story of him apparently fucking up every take where he didn't actually kiss her or look like he was kissing her, so mm-hmm. that they could have a take where so they had to use a take where he actually kissed her. Stick it to the man. I like it. Yeah, that's right. I'll give him that. Him and him and Michelle both. Um, although he did apparently have an interracial kiss about ten years before that on TV. Shatner did. Yeah. Wow. That was the actual first interracial kiss. Damn, pioneered this guy. Nineteen fifty-eight, I believe. I love the caramel Sundays <laughs> out there among the stars. He uh, is that a real line? No. Okay. <laughs> he, uh, he no. He had a uh, the. And I don't even know if that's the first one, but that's often thought of as the first one. But it was like some, uh, like American Playhouse or something. And he, uh, yeah, he. It was like that Crazy. was that was the first interracial kiss, I believe. Cool. Well, either way, he's either way. Shatner is a pioneer when it comes to kissing people that are of a different race than him. I just want to say, Iman, holy shit, she's in her prime, looking great. Uh, yeah. Her character, Mardia, is a. Uh, we later learn a cameloid. Which I believe I'm trying to think back to TNG. She's a shapeshifter. Yeah, she's a shapeshifter, but she's a but it, she's a now Star Trek has multiple t- uh, species of shapeshifters. The more famous of them being the founders of the Dominion, and I was wondering if perhaps they were the same. But apparently, in one of the novels, while non-canon, a cameloid is detained because they think it's a founder, but it's not. It's a cameloid, which is a different shapeshifter altogether, just like Iman. And Brendan, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, in all my years of watching the movie, this is the first time I actually noticed it, and I attribute it to the high resolution of the rip I watched. Um, whenever uh, Mardia changes shape, her eyes remain yellow. So during the scene where she is, uh, she transforms into Kirk as well, when you look at them, the Kirk that she is has yellow eyes. And it does make for one of the best jokes in the movie. Yeah. Is when he realizes, he says, I can't believe I kissed you. And he says, it's been your lifelong dream, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, wow, that's a self-deprecating joke that I'm surprised William Shatner would make. I was going to say, I was surprised that was in the script, and I was surprised Shatner said it. (laughs) And this will be your great chance to get away from it all. Yeah, no, it, but the, that that whole scene though, where she's like shape shifting and stuff, I was like, oh no, who did he really kiss? Yeah. <laughs> so I was a little scared because at first, she at one point she turns into like a little kid, and I was like, um, <laughs> flashbacks to Miri, folks. Am I right? Am I Miri? right? That's for the Star Trek fans. Okay, you take that, Star Trek fans. I won't interfere <laughs> on your on your reference. Um. Uh, I, I wrote down that uh, 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 Dr. McCoy sounds like Edwin Newman. <laughs> old newscaster. Old Edwin oh, Newman. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he's pretty old and rough, and I imagine he probably smoked cigarettes for most of his life. Jason, there is a cameo in this movie I did not expect. <laughs> I know who exactly you're talking about. And that was one by Mr. Christian Slater. 
Yes. I'm assuming just a fan of Star Trek. No, nope. uh, I there? mean maybe. I don't know if he's a fan or not. Uh, the connection is his mom was the like costume costume person on this movie. Okay. So I assume he must have been enough of a Star Trek fan to want a cameo, or somebody asked his mom, "Hey, would Christian want to do a cameo?" Yeah, he shows up, and we and it's funny because we only see him in shadow because he's standing in the dark doorway of Sulu's quarters on the Excelsior, where he's like, "Yeah, we got a call from Starfleet captain." Uh. <laughs> I mean, he does look he he looks so fresh faced and young. He is, yes. And this was he, like before True Lies? Not True Lies. Uh, True, Romance? True Romance? Oh, this is two years before True This is okay. prime Slater. Yeah, this Slater. Is like, this is like post, uh, post. Uh, what's that skateboard movie he was in that uh, I literally Gleaming covered? Gleaming the Cube? Yes. I literally covered this on my other podcast. Gleaming the Cube and maybe around the time of like Heathers, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Makes he sense. was he was known. I think this would have been a uh, a get up and uh, get a, a kind of a, a cheer moment. Like people would have yeah. seen this, but like, oh, Christian Slater, he's cool. He's in <laughs> cuffs, of course. Of course. Uh, uh, that r- radio movie that he was in. What the fuck was that called? Radio Flyer. Sure. Uh-huh. No, oh no, Pirate where, Radio maybe. No, there's a movie where he's like a DJ. Yeah. Uh, Air America. No, <laughs> nope. That's Mel Gibson, and Robert Downey Jr. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, um, it was cool seeing him in this. I was yeah. not expecting it, and uh, I like that uh, he's he's a giant star. So I kind of like that George Takei was like, "Did I stutter? Yeah, <laughs> put him Did in his I place stutter? a little bit." By the way, George Takei, so many great line reads in this movie. Uh, the 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 exclamation when the uh, when the shockwave hits him in the beginning and it breaks his teacup, and he goes, "My God." And then at the end of it, when everything's done, and the guy, the the dude, I think it's Valtain back there, goes, "Should we report this to Starfleet?" And he just goes, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> I also want to ask, how many times? Because, like you said, uh, Iman, uh, forget her character's name now, uh, Mardia. Mardia. She turns into Kirk at one point. It's Kirk v. Kirk. Yeah. How many times has Kirk fought himself? Because I feel like this is not the only time, right? No, it's not the only time. Uh, let's see. He definitely fights himself in the episode The Enemy Within, where he gets split into two Well, uh, I mean, people. that's right in the title. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think there is another one where that... It, it's not that he's split into two people, but for some reason there's a version of him that he fights. Oh, I think it's like an android or something that's made like a copy of him that gets made and he fights himself. And you know what? For 1991, not bad special effects of him fighting That's, himself. Well, the special effects of this whole movie, I adore. I love They're the good. way this movie looks. The, well, the you know model what? work, for the most part, holds up. You know what the, I think is the is the is the is the way that they accomplish that though is that they don't overreach. No, they know exactly what they can do. Mm-hmm. What they're capable of, yep. despite the blood scene looking maybe a little dodgy for 2022, yep. which is of course no fault of you know the time that they had, mm-hmm. the money that they had, it looks yeah. fine. But yeah. the rest of the movie, all the practical stuff, all the model stuff, like you said, combined with the effects and the makeup, it, like it, they don't they don't do more than they know that they can get away with. Every inch of this movie looks perfect to me. Like the the, the set design, the uniform design, like. It all feels real and grounded. The makeup on some of the aliens we see, it's, it's, it just feels so good. And to me, this is the definitive Star Trek movie for aesthetic. For this era in Star Trek, which sometimes is called the Lost Era because we don't really know much about what happens between the end of this movie and the beginning of Next Generation. There's books set in that era, but there's no real canon set in that era. Um, well, I, like I, this, what, what I heard is that Ron DeSantis is trying to erase all that history. <laughs> he absolutely is. You will not ruin my Star Trek history, DeSanctimonious. Uh, oh no, I don't know it. if I'm. I don't know if I'm upset or happy. <laughs> <laughs> 
But like, like even when you look at the panels in this movie, like you see, like it, it's all like real monitors with real things on them. So you could see writing on them and stuff. You could see yeah. the diagrams. Like it all feels so good. And also, it doesn't hurt. This movie was shot on seventy millimeter film, so that helps it look extra cool. Well, so and that's just, and just love it. And that's the big thing too is that I, I having seen bits and pieces of Star Trek shows, just assume that this would feel very TV show. Uh, and I'm assuming none of the movies feel that way, despite some of them might be good, some of them might be not so good. But like this, it does feel very cinematic, which is yeah. the, the best thing you want, especially if you're adapting a TV show. You mm-hmm. don't want it to feel anything like a TV show. You yeah, want it to be a whole, like not a whole new look, but you want it to be like like different. And like you want it to feel like there's a budget going on and there's there's filmmaking choices being made. Yeah. Like there's there's scenes where... Um, I wrote down. I was I was shocked when they're interrogating uh, Valeris. Oh, see, I remembered. Yeah. Um, and there's like they they uh, suddenly we get like a Dutch angle. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's like a pretty like big filmmaking thing. Um, I guess I just wasn't expecting it in in this. I just for some reason assumed it would be just like a 90 minute episode of the TV show. Speaking of interrogating Valeris, this is one of the like watching this movie again, and I've watched this movie. By the way, times, Spock but bitch slaps her. Well, no, he, he slaps does. her gun out of his hair, out of her. Head. He does, he does, and he because Spock. This is a rare moment of anger that we see. Spock. Spock is a Vulcan. Vulcans don't tend to show their emotions. It's very embarrassing for them to do that. That's not what they're about. They're about like peace and zen and you know like logic and all that stuff. But Spock's also half human, and he has his human side to deal with, and. Valeris is his protege. Valer- he has a lot of belief in her and her abilities, and he turns out that she betrayed him, and he's fucking mad. And yeah. and and Spock, it's it's you know it's there. It's not super present, you know, because Vulcans are under control. But you can tell he's furious, and he forces a mind meld on her. Now this is this is a fucking huge no no in Vulcan culture. You don't force. It's like mind raping someone is what he does to Valeris. But he grabs her and he mind melds with her because he needs to find out a who the conspirators are and b where the uh, where the conference is and where the and, remote control is. Yeah, which they, she doesn't know where the conference is. But she knows, you know, Chang and Cartwright and uh, uh, Ambassador Nonclus, the Romulan, are all involved in this plot. So can Vulcans uh, mind meld with anyone? Yes. Human- so- well, no, not everyone, but, like, certain species have brains that don't really work for that. Like, I don't believe Vulcans can mind meld with Ferengi, for say. But they can do say. it with humans. They can definitely do it with humans and a lot of other bipedal species. Spock wants mind meld it with a, a what is it called, a, a rock, anyways, the, a rock so, creature. So if So if Kirk was like... Yeah, uh, if Spock was like, Kirk, you know I like Rocky Road. Did you eat it all? Yeah. And he's like, no, dude, I would never do that. Kirk, Spock could just walk up and fucking mind meld and know that he's lying. Uh, yeah, theoretically. Uh, generally, he wouldn't do that because, again, huge violation. Uh, uh, and also, dude, it's, it's it's all not it's exactly ice cream, dude. Yeah, and that too. <laughs> I'd want to know. But uh, well, that actually comes into play in, in Star Trek um, 2 when Spock dies. Just before he dies, he does a quick mind meld with McCoy. And he says, remember. And then in Star Trek 3, McCoy is fucking going crazy because he's got Spock's katra, his spirit essentially, in his head. And it keeps coming out at various points, like in the way he says things, the way he talks. And that's how they help. That's when, when Spock's body is regenerated. They can, they're able to transfer that katra back into his body. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, man. Um. <laughs> I uh, uh, also here's a question I have that I I had in this one. They go to Sulu to learn the location of Kittimer. Why the fuck does Sulu know where it's at? Why would they tell Sulu? Sulu's in the Excelsior, way the fuck out. 
You know, he's not involved in this situation. I know he's got contacts at Starfleet Command, but that's a that's a huge intelligence leak. To oh, me. like the, where? Why does he know where the peace conference? Why does he know held? where the where it is? He he has no reason to be there. I mean, I guess it's just because he has contacts at Starfleet. But well, I mean, everybody likes Christian Slater. I'm assuming Christian Slater's playing himself. And, yeah, he uh, is. He is. Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant people, Slater. They wanted they wanted uh, someone famous to come to the party, so I'm assuming he told Sulu. Lieutenant Slater, please report to the captain's quarters immediately. <laughs> Don't wear much. <laughs> um, okay, three things. Three more things I got. Sure. It's a very interesting line where Kirk says that he and Spock are both extremists. Now, obviously, on opposite sides of the coin. Yeah. And he says, but reality probably falls somewhere in the middle, which I think, fuck, that applies to fucking nowadays. Jesus. Well, yes, but also and sometimes it's like, well, what's what's in the middle between what we believe in fascism? But I just mean like there there are yes. I'm not saying I'm not saying that one extreme no. is better than the uh, is the same as the other extreme. No. But it's true that neither one is really true. Yeah, in, in like, the politic of the time, it makes sense. The idea of like yeah, there's clearly ideas across the spectrum. Wasn't a whole lot of uh, amplification of QAnon in 1991. No, Jason. It, 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 I think they're looking at it like the marketplace of ideas kind yeah. of idea that if you if you throw all these different perspectives into the mix, eventually you're going to come up with something that resembles something that everybody can be at least disappointed with. I do think it's ultimately a good message at the end yeah. about tolerance and progressiveness. I mean, mm. did you essentially say, well, this particular Klingon was not so good, but like, hey, look at this Vulcan and look at these two humans that fucking yeah. uh, collaborated on this assassination, uh, fuck up the peace treaty mission. So yeah. it's not necessarily it's not a race thing. It's just that these were garbage people. It's a political perspective thing. Exactly. Because these, these guys were all willing to work together, no matter their, their, their race or their ethnicity or whatever, to yeah. accomplish this insane objective of keeping the galaxy in a state of Cold War. Um, what the, the line that I really like going back to is when, just before Chancellor Gorkin leaves the ship the first time, or well, the last time before he dies, and he says to Kirk, you don't trust me, do you? And he goes, that's the thing, is that, uh, we're, we're forging this brave new world and our generation is going to have the hardest time living in it because they're of that generation that hated each other and they're going to have the hardest time getting over it whereas the younger people will much be much more be able to accept it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that uh, line. Um, I also think there's a Peter Pan reference in here when, she, yes. when uh, Kirk says... Uh, Second star to the right and straight on till morning. No, that's actually a poem reference. They may, they may. Uh, um, that is from Peter Pan. Yeah, I know, but but I, but Peter Pan's referencing, I believe, the same poem. Okay. Which has the line "Second star to the right and straight on till morning." Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I think popularized in Peter Pan, so that's why I was like, "Oh, he's quoting Peter Pan." Okay, Kirk yeah. never wants to get old. Um, and then the last note I have. And I'm assuming now. First, I have to ask: Did they know that this was the last movie of this run? Yes, this okay. this was the plan that this was the final original series movie. That's why we have that wonderful credit sequence with yes. all the signatures at the I end. Was, and the I was Enterprise literally going off into the sunset. Well, that's why I was literally going to ask about the signature credits, where you have the first four or five cast members. You just see their signatures. It's very reminiscent of Avengers Endgame, actually. Oh, they where, did that nice. Yeah, where the movie ends. Well, the movie ends similarly where they have, like, um, the main Avengers come up. Like, their actual images come up and their signature. And then, you know, they go into the regular credits. But, yeah, it just reminded me. 
it reminded me a lot of uh, a lot of that. That's why I was like, oh, they must have known because I I feel like that's not an ending you you just kind of slap on to the to a movie. No, some somebody definitely was a fan of Star Trek Six when they did that ending. No question to me. I'm just gonna see if I have any more questions for you, Jason, because sure. I did write down some questions, but I think I think we got to them all. Let me just see here. Um, did Shatner and Nimoy get along? Uh, I think for the most part, yes. Uh, I've read Shatner's uh, book and Nimoy's books, and the thing that's always stood out to me, the kind of their relationship, was that Shatner writes this hilarious story in his book about how he used to prank Nimoy and he would steal his bike, like, <laughs> multiple times. And then when I read uh, Leonard Nimoy's book, it kind of came across like, yeah, Bill would always steal my book, and I was really sad about it. Or steal my bike, and I was always really sad about it. Like, <laughs> But That's no, they, they were friends. Thing. Yeah, I know, a very strange thing. They were friends, you know, on and off, I think. They had, they had their periods with each other, and I think near the end of the life, they weren't on great terms, and I'm not sure if they reconciled before Leonard died, but so they... You, you they, said, you said their, their, their periods, so there's, they were cycled? Yes. Their, yes, their cycles was. matched. Their their cycles did match sometimes, but yeah, Just no, they they, they so were much. yeah they were friends sometimes. But you know, I and I wouldn't put it on Nimoy. I'd say Shatner was probably an asshole sometimes, and Nimoy was like, "Well, fuck this guy." <laughs> now I think now I'm thinking. Well, I'm thinking Shatner was probably the asshole more more times yeah. than Nimoy. But oh, um, no now I'm thinking that now that you mentioned that when you mentioned that thing about him not. Uh, uh, connecting with him before Leonard Nimoy's death, I think I remember reading something like he was regretting that that yeah. they didn't really reconcile before that. Yeah, but maybe yeah, not. Exactly. Maybe I'm thinking about someone else. Maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't really have any other comments or questions. Um, so I guess uh, I'll just tell you how this movie was received, even though I think you know. But well, uh, can I say a few things first? Before you we can get into that? just just. I'll, I'll try not to keep this too long. There's just a few things i got to mention. One, okay. so at the, uh, uh, at the beginning at of the movie... At the beginning of Star Trek. So the beginning of the movie, in the background, on the Excelsior, and she has a few lines, you see a lady. That is actress Grace Lee Whitney, who plays a character, Janice Rand. Janice Rand was in the original series for like five episodes at the very beginning of the show. She was a character that was meant to be a regular... But she ended up leaving the show because she was constantly sexually harassed by one of the producers of the show, who I don't know the guy's name. But somebody was just constantly like trying to have sex with her, and she just couldn't take it. And I don't know, maybe she was sexually assaulted too, I'm not sure. But she was basically forced out of the show. I don't even think she left of her own accord. I think she was forced out because she wouldn't fuck some producer. And so, thankfully, when the movies were made, they brought her back. I think she's in the motion picture. I think she shows up in Star Trek Four, and then she's in Star Trek Six, and then she shows up in a later episode of Voyager, which the Excelsior is featured in. So it was really nice to see her again. Uh, Spock. Love me some Spock. Spock opening talks with the Klingons. This is a, uh, 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 kind of a prescient of future things to come because Spock in, in The Next Generation shows up, also doing the same thing with the Romulans. But Spock is actually seeking a reunification with the Romulans because the Vulcans and the Romulans are ancient ancestors separated by thousands and thousands of years, and he wants to bring them back together. Um, you vouched for me? Good line. Uh <laughs> Here's a fun one. Uh, so when they're in space dock and they're getting ready to leave and he tells Valeris, uh, one quarter impulse, Lieutenant, and she turns and she starts to quote regulations to him. And he's like, oh, no, God, just just do what I said. Theoretically, when she hits that button, that the, that that starship should just fucking blast out of the space dock because that's like that's like a percentage of light speed. So it should just fucking blow out the doors of the space dock. And I wish it did because that'd be a much better scene. Oh, when... <laughs> I don't know why this moment always makes me kind of giggle. When um, Gorkin meets Spock on the ship, 
He says, uh, Captain Spock. And he's like, uh, look, I, you, you have my thanks. And Spock just makes this weird, like, Chancellor? Like, like, I think he's supposed to be showing some sort of humility, like, hey, don't thank me. That's not the big deal. But it comes across like he's thanking him for jerking him off or something because the way he responds is like, Chancellor. <laughs> Chancellor, I've, I've jizzed all over this room. Absolutely. Uh, you've not experienced Shakespeare until you've read it in the original Klingon. That's an old Star Trek joke. Uh, you can actually buy Klingon uh, uh, versions of Shakespeare plays. They have been translated. Of course you can. Uh, of course, I love that moment when Chang says, uh, we need breathing room. And Kirk goes, Earth, Hitler, 1938. And he's like, what? And ne ne never mind. Because that is a thing that Hitler said. That was Liebensraum. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, there's the line. If, if, if there is to be a brave new world, our generation will have the hardest time living in it. Um, Kirk, Kirk, despite his, his uh, uh, hawkishness, is smart enough to know that he has to surrender immediately. When this when this incident happens, because he does not want to start a galactic war, he he may hate Klingons, but he's still he's not insane. He doesn't want there to be a galactic war. It's another good uh, another good line where they're talking about Kirk and Sp oh, it's it's the president talking to the the head of the Starfleet CNC, and uh, uh, the Starfleet CNC goes, "Those men have saved this planet many times," and the president goes, "I know, Bill," and they're going to save it again by standing trial because they have to go be tried by the Klingons. In that trial. Uh, we have the wonderful Christopher Plummer uh, straight up pulling from history where he does the line he, and he, he screams, don't wait for the translation. Answer me now. That is a that is a callback to the 60s with Adelaide Stevenson in the uh, who's the ambassador of the United States was was grilling the Russian ambassador and then shouted that at him. Don't wait for the translation. Answer me now. One Sorry. of the great men of our time. Absolutely. Adelaide Stevenson. Gotta, gotta love him. Yeah. Uh, I, I, another weird moment that I enjoy is where McCoy gets his one laugh and enjoys it. He like makes a joke. He's like, "Well, I'm. How would you describe your condition, or how would you describe your whatever?" He's like, "Pretty good." And he kind of looks up, and there's like one Klingon that laughs, and he's got this smile on his face, like, "Huh? Anybody else?" Uh huh. <sighs> uh, Kirk is an opportunist who violates the chain of command whenever it suits him. Chang has him penned, uh, like nailed, really, because he mm -hmm. does that plenty throughout the course of the series and the movies. Uh, Oh, when they when, when Valeris is demonstrating how the security on the ship works and how they can't just vaporize stuff because it'll set the alarms off. I just love the the multiple things of like who's firing a phaser in here, and then and then you know a few seconds later Scotty comes in. Who's firing phasers? Oh, here's a and, and fun little fact here, fun little connection. So there's a scene where they are they go into the Klingon space on the Enterprise. They're going to Klingon space. There's a Klingon freighter coming, and they got to talk to it. But they can't use the universal translator because it'll be recognized. So they're pulling out like old books, and Uhura is like going through and like uh, she's like speaking like ancient Klingon or something to get the message across. This is a weird scene because Uhura is the communications officer, and at various points throughout the series, it's very clear that she has a wide variety of language, including Klingon, but. There was an episode of the original series where her entire mind got wiped, and then she had to like relearn everything after the fact. So I'm wondering if for some reason she never relearned Klingon, and that's why that happens. I don't know. Or they just forgot. Or they just forgot. That's 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 possible. But Brendan, you can't you can't just attribute anything in Star Trek to somebody forgetting something or a mistake being made. We have to come up with a canon reasoning for it. I, I it's think like religion I, that way. No, Jason, don't <laughs> fall into that camp. Can I ask um, you a question? I actually forgot one question here. Sure. Um. Interesting to me is that this movie was made while the next generation was on the air, yes. which I, I looked it up. It started in 1987. Yeah, so, so five and six was, were both made while Next Gen was on the air. 
yeah, so it was deep, but at this point it was either deep into season three or just starting season four. Yeah. And so I just thought that was really interesting is that the current iteration of Star Trek on the air was not the one being made into into a movie yet. No, um, I mean, and, and that was... It took until f- 1994? Four, yes, when gener- Generations came out shortly after the show ended. And I think, what, there's only, like, one movie based on The Next Generation that was, nope. like, widely accepted as a good movie? Well, well, yeah. Okay, so there's four of them, and yeah. First Contact is a, a very fun movie. Um, Insurrection is an okay two-parter of Star Trek. Like, um, you know, it's not the greatest, but it's fine. And Generations is a steaming sack of shit. And, and Nemesis uh, the less is said about favorite. Nemesis, the better. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> and how many Deep Space Nine movies are there? None. Oh. They didn't need him. The show was too perfect. Hey, yes, it was. I don't know, Jason. I'm just it saying was. it. Sure. Get past. The, 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 there's some clunkers in the first couple seasons, but after that, DS9 is good all the way to the end. When you said it passed, I thought you were going to say it passed the Bechdel test. Uh, yeah, it does. It does. Wait, do they talk to each other? They talk to each other and talk about things that aren't specifically related to the men in their lives. Oh, well, there you go. Any uh, other uh, things you want to mention? Well, uh, th- this is a problem with all of Star Trek, but why does the ship not have security cameras? They don't seem to have internal sensors that can see anything. Like, they can detect stuff going on, but they never, like, just show me Corridor 7. They never do that. That would solve too many problems. <laughs> yeah, no security banks in the future. <sighs> uh, let's see what else we got here. They don't, um, they, 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 um, they don't have Natasha Leone as a blind girl watching the security banks. No, they don't. <laughs> they didn't, Blade they Trinity didn't do has taught us many things. Yeah. That and one of the things I always remember is never put blind Natasha Leone in charge of security. No. So I got to talk about the end of the movie for one sec. Uh, we have that we have Suluk who's coming in to to help out Kirk, and he's like, uh, he's like, we need to go faster. And the guy's like, she'll fly apart. And he goes, we'll fly her apart then. Such a good line. Um, also, why does Kittimer, which where this super secret peace conference is going on, there doesn't seem to be any other ships in orbit. Besides the Enterprise and the Excelsior and the Bird of Prey, when they show up, like surely there'd be somebody else there. But there, yeah. I know space is big, but still. Um, so they, they get attacked, and, and they're using the torpedo that can fire while cloaked. And uh, we got to go perform surgery on a torpedo. So McCoy and Spock go down into the torpedo bay as the torpedo is rolling along, getting ready to be loaded. And they're putting these uh, this equipment on it so they can track the Bird of Prey. And you can hear Chang over the... I don't know why the speaker's on, but you can hear Chang over the speaker quoting Shakespeare and going on, we not heard the chimes at midnight. And, and, and McCoy makes that wonderful line, I'd give real money if he'd shut up. Right. Uh, and then they, they, they get it done. It's, it's the tense. Everything's tense, right? They slam it shut. Lock and load. We're ready. And then it goes up to the bridge, and we have that moment, and that quick zoom in on Kirk, and the, and the music raises. And he puts his hand out, and he goes, Fire. And they hit that button, and the torpedo, and the music stops, and we just hear the sound, and it's like flying around, it's flying around, and it's tracking on the ship, and we go back to Chang, and he's like, to be, or not, to be, bloom, and it explodes, and it's just, ah, oh, it's so fucking awesome, and then fucking Sulu shows up, and he's like, target that explosion, and fire, and it's like, boom, 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 and blah, the ship's fucking dead. Okay. And then, of course, we have the whole moment at the end where they go down, they save everybody, and we have a slow clap. We have a genuine slow clap that we starts at the end of this clap. movie. Um, the best part about the slow clap is watching the different species clap in different ways, like how there's like the one race is like kind of like, and the Klingons are very much like, oh, oh, oh. Love it. And then the podium pose, like, like Kirk goes up and stands there, and then Sulu and Scotty come up beside him like they're on the fucking podium at the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, it's such a feel-good movie. And then there's that great line at the end where there's on the bridge, and he's like, oh, they're calling us back space dock for deconditioning or decommissioning. And Spock goes, well, if I were human, my response would be, go to hell if I were human. And then Kirk gives his, you know, second star. The right. It's such a good ending. Such a wonderful wrap-up for that crew. It's a shame they made Generations and kind of tarnished uh, uh, Kirk and Scotty and Chuck off by having them in that. But uh, such a good movie. God damn it. Well, I'll tell you what the people were saying. What were they saying? Uh, so over on the Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has an 82%. Not high enough. The consensus is that The Undiscovered Country is a strong cinematic send-off for the original Trek crew, featuring some remarkable visuals and an intriguing character-driven mystery plot. And that's something I wanted to mention, too, actually. Uh, I was not expecting a detective thriller yeah. uh, for most of this movie. Yeah, um, the Herald Sun said, those who found the final frontier, is that the fourth one? That's the fifth one. Fifth one. Those who found the final frontier weighed down by emotional gravity and over-the-top spiritualism Welcome to follow up with its suspense, action, and subtle good humor. Uh, the New York Times says Star Trek VI is definitely colorful, but even more of its color comes from conversation, which can take some amusingly florid turns. Uh, the acting of the cast was uh, received well by some, not well by some others. Um, the Cold War allegory and the whodunit aspects of the film were less positively received. The Sydney Morning Herald uh, considered the comparisons to real-world situations timely and praised the plot for exploring the reactions of those who have invested themselves in a life of belligerence. However, the Christian Science Monitor, oh, who I follow religiously, felt that the <laughs> film veered away from the intriguing Cold War allegory premise to unsatisfying results. Uh, the Washington Times said that the Rua Pent side plot offered scenic distraction without contributing significantly to the whodunit crisis. The crime itself has a promising closed room aspect that never gets elaborated adequately. You look forward to a cleverly fabricated s solution. Um, and then the special effects were lauded and criticized. Uh, USA Today called them just serviceable. Fuck but um, uh, uh, the Washington Post... Uh, said that the Klingons spilled blood floats in the air in eerily beautiful purple purplish globals. It's space age Lobules. Sam Peckinpah. Um, yeah, and Ma and Janet Maslin again said that the some of the effects were garish, but she uh, said she appreciated the filmmakers' tirelessness in trying to make their otherworldly characters look strange. So overall, yeah. pretty positive, uh, pretty positive reaction to this movie. I think. I, I got to quickly shout out uh, the character of Dax, who we see very briefly in the movie when they're uh, when they're Dax looking Shepard for the, is in this no, movie. No, no, uh, Lieutenant Dax, who's not related to Jadzia Dax, but Lieutenant Dax, when they're looking for the magnetic boots, and Chekhov gets his little moment where he goes, "Perhaps you have heard old Russian fairy tale. If shoe feets, wear it." Then he drops the boot down on the ground. He looks all smug, and then they all point down. He looks down, and the guy's got really weird feet that would not fit in a uh, in a in a boot. So good job on the makeup. It's a good moment. It's a funny it's a nice moment. moment. <laughs> um, it was well received. I'd say I still think that uh, Wrath of Khan is probably the most critically well received of this run of Star Trek movies, the mm -hmm. six movie run. Now, Jason, I know you're very curious though about the biggest part of this podcast, and you want to know my opinion. Absolutely, because I know your opinion. We don't yes. have to reiterate. You love this I, movie. I, I get 100 it. Love this movie, and we'll watch it over and over and over. But you want to know what I think because yeah. I have been very uh, straightforward with you and honest with you that I have not enjoyed what I've seen at the Star Trek TV shows, mm -hmm. um, what little I've seen. 
and that I kind of veered away from watching the movies because of that fact. Understandably, I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't like something, you're probably not going to like the longer version of it. Absolutely. So, um, but I'm going to shock you in the world and say that I, uh, I liked it. They did. That's good. I liked I'm glad it. to hear. I liked it. If I had to, if I had to boil it down as statistically or in terms of numbers, it's probably like a seven out of ten for me. Oh, well, that's still something. That's um, a that's a three and a half stars. What what you're seeing here is good Star Trek. Now, Star Trek, good Star Trek is is across the board when it's at its best. It is so good, but it's it's like I say, it's so often it's a morality play and it's about the characters. The sci-fi, while there in in the good episodes, is secondary to what's going on with the characters and the overall kind of morality and the the questions that we have, like the different well, perspectives. But that's why there's so much bad sci-fi and so much bad yeah. fantasy because they think. The filmmakers of those bad movies, they think that the that what the people want is the is the weird um, gobbledygook about nothing. And it's like, no, I don't care. Honestly, I don't care. Like the movie like we watched Moon a while back. There was hardly any of there was really hardly any sci fi in that movie. If you really boil it down, that was all human drama. The sci fi is a cool thing to put as like a backdrop. I was going to say, that's exactly what it was. The sci-fi was the set dressing in that movie. Yeah. They, there was no need for extreme techno babble. And even in Star Trek, where there is that techno babble, it's never the focus. That's just that's just part of the icing on the cake of Star Trek. Well, it certainly didn't feel like the focus in this movie. And I also think back to that uh, movie we watched, Under the Skin, yes. which was another movie that it was very, you know, seemingly the premise is very sci-fi heavy. I mean, she's an alien that comes to Earth, but ultimately it's not really mm. about that like you know it's it's you have to tie it into real world shit yeah you have to tie these movies into stuff that is relatable it's yeah, tied and, in and some way you don't have to make it obvious you don't have to you can you can you know you can make it subtle you can make it nuanced that's the best way to do it but you can't just give us this nonsense no. word salad and expect yeah. me to give a shit well that's and to me that's why Star Trek 2, 3, 4 and 6 work so well is because we focus on those characters and and their dilemmas and struggles and everything whereas a movie like Star Trek the motion picture is a much more high concept science fiction picture that suffers because it feels very cold and it lacks a lot of that character stuff that was really such a big part of the original series. I mean that was what kind of held that series up was that triumvirate of Spock uh, Bones and McC- and uh, and Kirk and 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 their relationship and that uh, and that really is what makes the movies that are good stand out. Whereas the the concepts of Star Trek one and five are kind of interesting, but it just for the most part doesn't work the same way. Well, Jason, I just want to congratulate you. You have uh, you have uh, turned me around a little bit. There's, you know that there is there is Star Trek worth watching out there. I know that there, right now, I know that there is at least one Star Trek movie that is worthwhile. And, you know, having watched this, I'm sure that the other ones that people say are good, if it's anything like this in terms of uh, how they balance the sci-fi and the human drama and the action, then, I, you know, I probably, uh, I would be very open to watching those. But I will not watch them yet because I'm sure you will make me watch them in the future. We, well, I, I, at some point down the road, want to make you watch Star Trek Five on your other podcast. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> good Lord. Well, Jason, I just got to say, uh, I don't know if this is even going to be on the episode, but Star Trek Nemesis might be coming up soon. So you might oh. have to join us for that. Oh, 100%. Uh, 100%. But if, if you didn't invite me, I would hunt you down and murder you. You would be very offended. I, I yes. know you would. Um, okay. Well, 
on that note, we're done. We're going to move on. Yay. We're going to talk about what we're doing next week. Because next week, Jason, I'm giving you a Christmas present. Yes. And dun-a. Did, what? Did, you, did you hear that? No, I didn't hear No, no! Are you okay? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Whew. That oh, was weird. Just scary music, right? Very scary. <laughs> I'm startled. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yes, that's uh, that's right. I am going to make Jason watch a movie he has perplexingly not seen yet in his life. Uh, Jason, you are going to watch the 1975 Steven Spielberg classic, Jaws. Jaws. Yes. Somehow I've never uh, gotten around to watching this movie. And while I am familiar with it, I'm excited to watch it for a podcast. What I would love you to do is before this movie starts, I would love for you to write down or type up or whatever everything you know going into it. Because I would love to know what you know going in and what surprised you. Okay. That that's, that's like a good that's, idea. I should do that. That's my homework for you. To write down all the all the cultural uh, osmosis that I have, yes. I have learned, and then we'll see where we go from there. All the stuff you already know. Because I, uh, I know you probably know of quite a bit. Yes. Going hey, in. I've, I've seen Chasing Amy. I know they have that whole scene where they discuss their sexual injuries that is straight up uh, from Jaws discussing their various shark-related injuries, and, I guess. And you know, clerks, salsa shark. We're gonna need salsa a bigger shark. boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, by the way, uh, we're gonna need a bigger boat. It's misquoted, but you'll find out that out soon. This boat um, we need is bigger. <laughs> not quite, uh, not quite that bad. But uh, ne- yeah. So next week, uh, my Christmas present to Jason is he is gonna watch Jaws, and uh, he he will mostly it'll be mostly Jason talking about it because I'm looking forward to see someone's first reaction to yeah. this. Absolutely classic piece of cinema this legendary film that invented oh. the term blockbuster oh man yeah yeah legitimately this is this is the the first the first blockbuster i think mm-hmm. um unless you count the towering inferno <laughs> i don't know i don't know if you do or not but uh but yeah so that's what we'll talk about next week we'll talk about uh, jason's first reactions to jaws um but until then uh jason uh, they can find us all over the all over the social medias. Oh, we're everywhere. Uh, we're on Facebook. Just search for us. We're on Twitter at FSAC Pod. That's for Screen and Gunter Podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to us, like you're listening to us right now, we are on all the podcast apps. You have a podcast app. If you have a podcast app and you can't find us, literally post on our page, post on our group, tweet us, let us know. We'll get it. We'll get our asses on there. If you um, have a podcast app and you can't find us, then you're a dumb fuck. <laughs> no, Jason, that's not nope. what I said. That's, that's what you were thinking. If you have a podcast but you can't find us. Wait, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're also, but yes, we're everywhere. Um, our home base, though, is, of course, Age of Radio. So you can get an Age of if you want to find us on that site, you can go to ageofradio.org slash for screen. Uh, Jason, what about you? Are you still on uh, Are you still on Elon Musk's uh, failing <sighs> enterprise? Well, I'm still there. I'm seeing what's happening. I'm still around for the time being. So you can find me on Twitter, but you can also find me on Hive, and uh, uh, which is like Twitter, but uh, the app's not quite as good. But you know what? Uh, we'll see how things go. So on Twitter or on Hive, I'm at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. So come on by. Give me a follow. All right. 
Make and me a real influencer on Hive so I can finally give up having to work and people will just send me stuff because I'm cool. And, of course, follow us on Be Real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So there we go. That's the episode. We're talking about Jaws next week. I can't wait for you to watch this movie. I'm actually genuinely excited for you to watch this. I, and I'm, I'm excited, and I hope, too. Well, and I hope that you are happy that I liked a Star Trek movie. I am happy. It, it makes me feel good that I picked one that you enjoyed. So on that note, Jason, we are going to head out, and I am just going to say to you, God save the king. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Kapla! Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.